This is Transforming Culture, an MBC podcast. Welcome, everyone, to our second episode of Transforming Culture, brought to you by Muskoka Bible Center. I'm your host, Luke LaRock, and we're grateful that you're back for another chance to learn about how to engage with cultural issues from a biblical perspective. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, I'd suggest that the best thing to do is go back and listen to the introduction in episode one, where I dive a little deeper into why NBC is hosting this podcast. This week, we're listening to Dr. Michael Palwecki, who is the sixth president of Briarcrest College and Seminary in Cairnport, Saskatchewan. He first came to know the Lord through reading a Gideon New Testament during his teenage years when his parents were going through a turbulent divorce. And it was during this difficult time that Michael trusted the Lord and began his journey with Christ. Today, he strives to honor the Lord in everything he does, including his role at president at Briarcrest. With a vision of educating disciples, equipping the church, and engaging our world, he aims to continually grow as a disciple of Christ himself. Prior stepping into his role as president, Michael served in pastoral roles in Manitoba and Ontario, including 19 years as senior pastor at Compass Point Bible Church in Burlington. Dr. Pawecki has an earned doctorate from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, an honorary doctorate from Briarcrest Biblical Seminary, an MA in Biblical Studies from Dallas Theological Seminary, and a BRE from Briarcrest Bible Institute. Michael presently teaches on leadership and pastoral ministry in both the college and the seminary and speaks frequently at churches. Today, he's talking with us about woke ideology and how to engage with conversations that can look quite attractive on the surface, but have a very different meaning when you get down to the foundational roots of the thought process. I'd go into more detail, but to be honest, he does a great job himself and does not need any help from me. So let's go straight to the Monday Night Seminar from July. I really appreciate Luke's comments as we are starting out here. Uh, this is a, a huge subject, and let me just uh, say, make some preliminary comments about culture. I just want to affirm NBC for having these conversations, and um, and and this one is is a a, 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 a significant one, <clears throat> and it's it's touchy and delicate for a number of reasons. As as Luke said, there's there are things that you won't agree with, uh, and that's that's fine. Um, and there's all kinds of things with wokeism or woke expression that we're going to agree with. And so what I want us to, to take some time is to understand the fundamental worldview thinking beneath the woke expressions we see culturally. Okay, so that, that's important for us to understand that. So that's, that's where we're going. And then we'll talk a little bit about how to respond to that, at least, at least in measure. A culture... Think of culture this way. Culture is is culture can be a neutral thing. I mean, NBC has a culture. Your church has a culture. Culture can be neutral. Cultural expressions can be negative or even evil, and cultural expressions can be positive. And so, think of culture as something uh, that man does with what God gives us. So, uh, water is from God. A canal is culture. Okay. A stone is from God. An um, a wood, uh, sorry, a, a stone arrowhead is, is, is culture. And, and human socialization is from God. That's how we're created. But group behavior is culture. And so how groups behave and what are the values that they're going to behave on the basis of, that's culture. And so that we want to explore culture. And we want to explore it with, with, through the lens of biblical thinking. Okay. Um, let me just say one more thing at the outset here <clears throat> is just full disclosure, not that, you know, I've, I've, I've so enjoyed Bible teaching, and for those who've been coming out, great, we're, we're in the book of Romans. On this particular theme, I, I'm just trying to get ahead of the curve myself, and I'm by no means an expert in this, but we have three schools, our high school, college, seminary, students are coming in, 
immersed in woke culture. And, and as a parent, I, I also, I'm also trying to grasp this. And so I'm so pleased all of these teens are here. Uh, you're going to be ahead of your parents in many ways. But the hope is that you'll talk to your parents about these themes. Because this is, it, it permeates education it is now through politics, through media, it is everywhere. It's not that it's believed in all of culture, but it is the driving agenda of culture shapers. Okay? So that's why this, this, this exposure tonight is so important because we need to know what's underneath the language and the thoughts and, and the cultural expressions that we're seeing manifest. What, what's, what's, what's beneath it? So <clears throat> what I want to talk about is let's define what woke really means. The term woke describes a worldview. A worldview is a way of thinking, a particularly comprehensive view of life. And so when you talk about worldview, it means um, what, what do you believe about where, you, where we came from? Is there meaning to life? Where are we going? What's, how, how should I live? Morality, ethics, uh, if there are any. Uh, what happens when we die? I mean, this, these are the frameworks. As we start to think abstractly in life, that's your worldview. Everyone has a worldview. They may not use the word. They may not have categories for it. They may not understand why they think they do. Maybe their worldview comes strictly from television or from, from social media or from, from Instagram or, or TikTok. But they have a worldview. You all have a worldview. Okay? So woke describes a worldview. And, and sometimes you'll hear different terms to describe wokeism or woke culture. You'll hear social justice ideology. You'll hear critical social justice. Let me just say this. If you're looking at a university syllabus or your university calendar and you see the word critical, it doesn't mean critical thinking like it used to mean 25 years ago. It's tipping its hand to woke thinking, okay? The same with justice. I mean, five years ago, I'd say, I'm all about social justice. I mean, who wouldn't want to be about social justice? Let's be about feeding the poor and caring for the hungry and, and being in there on the cutting edge of, of, of helping those in need. But now social justice means something very different. It's attached to woke doctrine and woke culture. Okay, So, so woke thinking has, in some ways, hijacked some very significant terms, and we'll talk about those terms in a little bit. Uh, the term woke or being awoke, awakened or woke up really... It, it's, it's, it's describing the person who has been awakened to the reality that the world all pivots around power struggles. You've got the oppressor and the oppressed. That's the framework by which they interpret all relationships, all social contracts. It's always about power. And you've got the oppressed and the oppressor. And, and, and it's systemic, which means it's pervasive. It's, it's absolutely everywhere. And so the person who's woke sees it. Oh, yeah, those oppressors, those white cisgender males. And so that's their lens, okay? Uh, and if you don't see it, you're, you're asleep. You, just, you, you haven't been enlightened by, by this awakening. It encompasses a critical race theory. And that's largely about the oppression of whites on blacks. Not exclusively, but largely about that. Uh, queer theory, that's largely about the oppression of non-cisgendered people. The whole LGBTQ conversation. And then there's also uh, post-colonial theory, which, is, which has the focus of, of those, those terrible white Europeans and white North Americans who, who colonized uh, indigenous peoples. And so th these would be sort of three major domains that you'd see woke doctrine uh, teased out in. <clears throat> three main principles to shape the ideology. And this is from Pincourt. You can read his book. Um, and, and there are others who will describe wokeism in, in different ways. But here would be three pretty key principles to understand about woke doctrine. It's the knowledge principle. It's possible to know reality's true nature. In other words, everything is socially constructed and defined by language in a given culture. It's at the core postmodern. And for the last couple of decades, we've been talking more about the last 40 years, we've been talking about what postmodernity really is. At its core, postmodernity rejects the old world of there being absolutes, anything fixed, anything to be trusted. In a relativistic context, everything's shifting, everything's moving, nothing can be trusted, everything's relative, and everything's socially constructed by a group, okay? 
So there's no fixed knowledge, there's no fixed meaning, there's no fixed truth, there's no fixed morality, there's no fixed ethics. From a political principle, knowledge is constructed by oppressors over the oppressed. All knowledge is created by social construction, and it's created by the oppressor. And it's created to their advantage. That's where knowledge comes from. That's where the, 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 the authority comes from, those who are the oppressors. And the third area is the subject principle. Individuals are defined by their social group, whether you're male or female, whether you're white or, or black, or whether you're European or indigenous or cisgendered, non-cisgendered. You are defined, your identity is defined by the group to which you're attached. And it's all about identity politics. And what is your identity? Your identity is your politics. Okay, and this is really fun. This is really critical. <clears throat> and we'll talk a little bit about how we interpret this biblically on page two and the other side. But you're not an individual. Individualism is overrated. You're part of a group. So if you're, if you're white, you're white. You're part of a white group. If you're a male, you're part of the male group. If you're, if you're non-cisgendered, you're part of the LGBT community. If you're indigenous, that's your group. And, and who you are as an individual doesn't matter, but your politics is defined by the group to which you're attached. Okay? That's why, for example, Biden said, if, if, if you're black, you have to vote uh, Democrat. So it's that kind of thing. It's, it's attributing political identity to your group, not to your individual thinking. And, and whether you know it or not, that's true of you according to woke, doc woke doctrine, okay? I'm, just, I'm, I'm having you understand what, what woke thinking is. Again, not everybody, I need to say this, not everybody who manifests woke values understands all this at work, but, but the, the promoters of woke doctrine, they understand this very much, and this is the core. Your identity is defined by your group. Your politics is now your identity. Okay, and woke ideology is, amal is an amalgam of postmodernity with no absolutes, complete distrust of the past, and critical theory. Okay, and that's very important to understand what critical theory is. So I'm going to now talk about what critical theory is. What, what's what's the history of woke doctrine or, or woke worldview? Okay, the ideology is not 10, 20 years old. We're just hearing about the last five years. But it's, it's not 10, 20 years old. It actually goes back to the thinking of Immanuel Kant in his, in his distrust of, of reality and of, of, of how reason could interpret reality. In fact, one of his books was called The Critique of Pure Reason. <clears throat> and I'm not going to talk about Immanuel Kant. But Immanuel Kant was an early thinker that, that helped us to disassemble rational conversation and rational, reasonable interaction and how we perceive our reality. It's also an amalgam of, of George Hegel uh, and his view of the dialectic and, the, and, and, and how progress, the ideas are always changing, all, ideas are always progressing. So <clears throat> it's not just the technology is progressing, but ideas are changing. Again, it's fundamentally relativistic and evolutionary. And then of course, Friedrich Nietzsche, or Nietzsche, uh, and, and, and he was an atheist, and one of his doctrines was that might is right, basically. The, the strong survive. It was, it was kind of a, a philosophical connection to, really, in many ways, Darwinism in terms of, of socialization. It was, it was a great foundation for, for Hitler's view of the Aryan race. And, and, and Hitler was an ideologue. Hitler thought, you know, the Aryans are the superior people. Let's advance uh, the evolutionary process by exterminating the weakers. The, the gypsies and Jews and, and so forth. So Nietzsche was a part of that thinking in, in, in his promotion of the Superman, the strong, the, the, the powerful. But the most significant person who were to gather, gather these thoughts together was Karl Marx. Now, Karl Marx is known for his teaching on communism or Marxism. Marxism was the, the philosophical foundations for what we know as communism. And what Marx's approach was his, his was about economic oppression. And so in Russia at that time, they had gone through two, 300 years of the ruling bourgeoisie, the elites. They had all the money and they had all the power. And then there was the working crowd, the proletariat. Okay. And, and Marx said, we, we need to have a revolution, overthrow the bourgeoisie, empower the proletariat and create equality. And his was an economic approach, and he believed that 
the equality that he was striving for was an economic quality, okay? So he created a lot of this thinking of, of the foundation to critical theory, because critical theory really is Marxism minus the economics. Critical theory just simply says all relationships, all society, all structures are about the oppressor and the oppressed. That's the lens by which they interpret reality, all relationships, okay? And then I've got some other names. There's early social justice uh, ideologues and atheists. Um, you'll see some, some you know, some Mar they're all Marxists. And, and the Frankfurt School, you need, need to know this about the Frankfurt School. <clears throat> this was in Germany, but they were Marxists. They weren't, they weren't Nazis in the time of their thinking. They were developing these Marxist think thoughts uh, that transcended merely economics, and, 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 and they're developing these early thought processes and doctrines for critical thinking beyond economic application, okay? And so you just need to know, th this thinking is, is generations old, and it's percolating in elite educational centers, okay? That's where it's, that's where it's being fed, Okay. Uh, you've got uh, Herbert uh, Marcuse and Angela Davis. They did a lot of promoting of critical theory uh, in the latter part of the 20th century. So the, uh, this ideologue or this ideology today or this doctrine, this, this, this worldview today, and, and I, I don't want to speak too category, categorically here, but it's probably being taught in virtually every university in the West. It, it, it is just the, the, the embraced, acknowledged, accepted worldview that's in play, okay? So you just need to know how pervasive it is, and I want you to understand it, the underpinnings to it. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the strategy. <clears throat> and again, this is the strategy of, of the real advancers and promoters of woke ideology and woke uh, uh, worldview. Okay, the diminished value of the individual. Human identity is socially constructed. Okay, and I'm repeating myself here, but you just need to know this. Individuals are only a reflection of their community. You are your community. You, you are not an individual. Your individual perspectives don't matter. It's the identity of your community that matters. Okay, disrupt the nuclear family. Because you see, the male-female binary is one of the oppressive techniques that those in power... Namely, in the West, it's white, straight males that they've used. And we need to disassemble the power of that binary relationship and of the nuclear family. We need to disassemble it. That is why one of the things we're seeing now, whether it's transgender conversations or whether it's vaccination conversations, that's why we're saying, listen to the government. Don't listen to your parents. What's the government saying? Because the government knows best. Okay, it's it's a fundamental and 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 woke thinking is 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 through media, it's through education, and it's through our our our, our it, it, there's woke capitalism now. It's, it's through our major particular particular our our our, our tech industries and and our communication uh, 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 industry. So disrupt the nuclear family. It's also very very pro-abortion. Uh, promote shame and guilt in the West, particularly Europe. And then, of course, North America, because you were because because the white oppression uh, defined by slavery, colonization, greed, exploitation, racial superiority, misogyny, and genocide. Those, those terrible Europeans and those terrible, and that's why you you're seeing in the news and when you you're watching Americans, there's there's this self disdain, this growing embarrassment and shame within woke thinking. Okay. Now, <laughs> Top Gun is trying to reverse that, but th that's the kind of thinking you're seeing. There's this embarrassment and shame for being white, and the only way you can atone for it by being a white person is by acknowledging your shame, bowing a knee, and acknowledging the power of woke doctrine and that you've been an oppressor, and you've been a part of an oppressing group just by virtue of, of the melanin of your skin. Manipulate language to create empathy. Terms such as critical have been redefined. Terms like social justice have been redefined. Equity. Doesn't equity sound like a good thing? We believe in equity, don't we? Well, what do you mean by that? Because we think of equality of opportunity. Everyone should have an opportunity to apply for this job. That's equality. 
Equity says, no, 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 no. If 15% of the population are, are of a particular ethnic origin, then 15% of this graduating class needs to reflect that ethnic uh, group. And so equity talks about equity of outcome. Okay, so if 15% of our workforce uh, needs to reflect the 15% of this community. And so it's not about meritocracy where you're rewarded for your work. It's just simply we need to, we need to have outcomes that reflect our inputs. So language is a deeply significant part of their strategy. Reject traditional liberal values. By the way, when you see the word liberal here, it means free freedom, okay? Not, not liberal as in liberal conservative. Uh, reject traditional values. So individual rights, we, we, we value those. They reject them, okay? So free speech, nope, because we, we need to control language. Uh, respectful and charitable debate. One of the things that they deny is the dialectic. They deny the, the opportunity for civil dialogue and conversation. They don't want to debate over issues. Because to even debate over the issue is to show that you don't get it. You're asleep. You're not woke. Okay? You need, you need to buy the agenda. Uh, religious liberty, property rights, personal achievements, objective thinking, the scientific method, delayed gratification. Because these are all white values. And while we might look at them as Judeo-Christian values, they would say these are the values of our European and North American oppressors, and they need to be rejected and overthrown, okay? Uh, reject the aims of the civil rights movement. And it's, this one just blows my mind. I mean, I, I'm, I can't quote it, but we, we all have heard Martin Luther King Jr.'s tremendous speech and how he advocated the equality of all people, regardless of race, regardless of color. But see, woke doctrine, woke review actually rejects that, and it turns it upside down. Advance aggressively by whatever means. Advance your goals aggressively by whatever means. I got Anne Hathaway's quote there. Let's tear down this world apart. Let's tear this world apart and build a better one. Here, the end justifies the means, and often they'll use bullying tactics to accomplish their means. And if that doesn't work, she'll riot a revolution. And that's what Black Lives Matter, the riots that we saw, we're, we're all about. Uh, employ ad hominem attacks. What are ad hominem attacks? Let's say you're in a conversation, in a debate, and you make a, a significant point that, that actually has some intellectual substance to it. A, a woke person will simply say, well, then you're a racist, and, and you know what? You're an extremist, and you're this, and you're a Republican. You've, you're, you're a Trumpite, and, and, you know, and, and all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, whoa, we're not talking about that. Well, yet now we are, okay? And, and so you attack the person, not the argument, okay? And then finally, infiltrate education and government. Woke ideology is embedded in most K-12, as well as virtually all public universities. Um, now, again, this doesn't define, there's all sorts of us that would align ourselves with, with some of the attractive concerns that Woke Worldview has, but I'm just having us understand the doctrine or the worldview of, of Woke ideology and its underpinnings. It's a particular way of looking at the world, and it's very different from the Christian worldview. Let me explain that. So let me take a few minutes on a Christian response. The first three, let me just say, I feel very strongly about, okay? The, the, the next four uh, are sort of some suggestions for you to reflect upon, okay? So let's talk about these first two. Remain spiritually, theologically, missionally anchored. You and I need to do a better job of thinking Christianly. I love the analogy uh, for how, to, how, to, how, how bank clerks identify counterfeits. It's by spending time with authentic currency, okay? The, the longer you spend with, with the authentic thing, the quickly you identify counterfeits. And the more deeper we're invested in God's word, the more quickly we're going to be able to say, hey, whoa, 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 but that doesn't sound right. There's something wrong about that thinking. I'm not sure what it is, but I, I need to think about this because I, I'm hearing things. So we need to be so grounded theologically in our, in our own biblical worldview, uh, and we need to think and act Christianly. So here's some points. Know what you believe and why. Before you can help others, you better know what you believe. I, I love the analogy of, you know, on the airplane, you know, if the cap pressure goes down, you know, put the oxygen mask in your force, yourself, then your, 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 your children. Because you, you got to be clear thinking first. 
okay? So make sure you've got a clear understanding of what your doctrine is all about. Recognize reasons why many people might be drawn to woke doctrine, woke ideology, or woke worldview, because many of the things that they're concerned about, we too are concerned about. Are we concerned about justice? Yes, we're concerned about justice. Are we concerned about racism? Yes, we're concerned about We're against racism. But just because we have some common concerns doesn't mean we align ourselves with them, okay? If you don't mind me saying, Mormons are pro-family. It doesn't mean I have to become a Mormon. So just because they're concerned about racism, oh, I need to join the woke banner and, you know, put the, put the black fist in my, my Facebook we don't have to align ourselves just because there's some common interests, because the fundamental frameworks are very different, okay? So we need to reaffirm a biblical anthropology. And in our biblical anthropology, which we're talking a little bit about in our study of Romans, but in our biblical anthropology, the individual does matter, okay? Because you as an individual will be held accountable for the way you live. Not your group. And, they're, they're, you know, we've got communities in the scriptures as well. But you, you and I will be held accountable as individuals how we treat one another, uh, how we fared in terms of our commitment to our spouse values, uh, how we related to God through his son, Jesus Christ. But we'll, we'll be held accountable individually, okay? So your individuality matters. How you think matters. How you act matters. And for that, you'll be held accountable, not your group. You will not be held accountable. There, there's, not, there's not group guilt here. Just because you're of one particular ethnic group or, or, or cisgender or whatever it is, that you are therefore are absolved of responsibility. No, you are held responsible. That's a biblical anthropology, okay? Let's also think about a biblical hamartiology, about how we view sin. Here's the issue with, with critical theory. Critical theory looks at the lens of the biggest problem in the world as being all about oppressors and oppressed. That's not the biggest issue. That's not the biggest. That's an issue. I don't, I'm not saying we don't have oppressors and oppressed. But that's not our biggest issue. The biggest issue that you and I have sin running through the very core of every one of us. And we all, given the opportunity, will treat each other poorly sometimes. And we need to confess and apologize and make right and reconcile. But that's not about our group. The problem is the human heart. And so a biblical view of, of evil is that we need to look inward. The biggest problem is right within us. And whether it's, whether it's Solzhenitsyn or whether it's the scripture. But th those are the discoveries we've got to make that our, our, our greatest sin is not the sin of our gender or the sin of our, our melanin in our skin or, or our, 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 our skin color or, or our social class. That's our greatest accountability is, is, is as an individual... And, and, and how we deal with the evil within us as we seek forgiveness in Christ and live according to his, his, his will and way. Okay. So we need, to, we need to think biblically in these matters. Remember who you represent and what our mission is. So 2 Corinthians 5, we're ambassadors of Christ. Matthew 6.33, seek God's kingdom first above all things. And 28, 19, we're making disciples. And why that's significant is because you need to remember who our enemy is, okay? Our enemy is not the person who is espousing a war woke worldview. That's not our enemy. We have one ultimate enemy, the evil one. And the scriptures talk about bringing every thought, every, every principality, every, every, every idea under submission to Christ. But there are principalities and powers, there are ideologies and worldviews that we do need to do battle with, that are at work, and that are leading people captive. And so let's go toe-to-toe -to -toe with these debates and with these arguments and with these issues. But our enemy is not people. And, and so this is, a, this is always a tension when, when, when we enter into conversations and dialogues with people who have different ideologies or different religious persuasions or different views, is we need to remind ourselves that the, let's, let's argue intelligently with the person over the issue. Uh, we, we need to have a, an objective, out-of-body kind of, let's talk about the issue. 
but not attack the person, not to think differently about the person. In fact, if anything, to show the utmost respect to that person. In fact, it's in my point in a minute here. What does 1 Peter 3.15 say? Be ready to give, a, give an answer for the hope that is in you, but do so with gentleness and with respect. Okay, the person who has a crazy worldview is not our enemy. It's not our enemy. Okay, let's wrestle with their thought posture. Let's wrestle with the ideology. Let's wrestle with the worldview. But they're not the enemy. So let's be prepared to present Christ and his gospel with gentleness and respect. Let's pray for opportunities and clarities. We seek to enter into dialogue if there's, if there's opportunity. I'll just say one thing about dialogue and, and debate. Because those of the woke persuasion do not believe in reasoned dialectic, in, 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 in reasonable conversation, you're going to have to win them over, over through, well, imagine, love. Okay, you have to win them over through another means because they've, they've actually been trained to not appreciate the value of conversation. There's only two ways to govern people. Two ways to govern people. One is through conversation and winning them over through, through, through good data, good debate, good information, or force through totalitarian leadership. And, and the, I mean, you can, there's nuances to all of those, but those are the two options of, of governing people. Well, we want, to, we want to discuss and wrestle with the ideas as best we can, but where they're not responsive, let's, let's certainly model love. My next few points, I'll go quickly here because I want to allow for Q&A. Um, maintain the learning posture and current culture issues. Friends, I, like, I'm truly, I'm just, I'm grappling with this myself, and so I might not be accurately representing all these nuanced uh, understandings, but we need to go there. I mean, our children are being taught this. We better figure out what they're hearing, uh, hearing in the classroom, okay? So familiarize you. I've got a, f a few references, just a handful of references at the bottom of page two, okay? Uh, discuss with your family, your church, neighbors, work associates. I commend NBC for having this session tonight and for, for going to these places, which are so difficult. Um, yeah, really, it's uh, to be commended. Um, engage as a citizen. Can I, this is tricky here, this point here. We live in a democracy. It, it's not the best system. It's, it's fraught with all kinds of issues. But this is, this is where we live. And, and when the Apostle Paul lived in, in, in a totalitarian regime under Nero, that was his context. But in a democracy with free speech, we have a stewardship. Like voting is a privilege and a responsibility. We have a voice. And so to, to, to recoil and say nothing is, isn't necessarily a Christian answer. It's how we enter into dialogue that matters. Okay? So let's use our voice and let's vote. But, but, but let's, let's do so as a stewardship of freedom. But as we do so, let's remember who we're representing. We're representing Christ. And let's hope people will know us more for who, who we are and who we believe in rather than our political stripe. So I, I'm inviting you to, to, to speak up at school board meetings and, and to your class, to your, your students, your, your children's teachers, and take advantage of those, but do so with gentleness and respect. Do so representing the Lord Jesus, remembering who your enemy is. It's not the person, okay? But let's speak. To be silent is, in my opinion, it is not the commendable virtue here. We, we have the opportunity, and, and let's do so with grace. Let's do so with class. Let's do so with love and with care and respect. Uh, but let's do so. Um, then, last point there, offer a better alternative when you can explore, when you can explore no, better other, no better alternative. So, <clears throat> public education, I'm, I, I'm not saying we should abandon public education. But if your children are in public education, you better know what they're being taught because it is not what you were taught. And so to think of homeschooling, that's a, a growing uh, movement. It's not a crazy movement. And I, we didn't homeschool our kids. I'm, not, I'm just saying um, you, were, you were given the stewardship of a, of a life and, and how you raise your sons and daughters matter.
Christian education, give that some explored thought. Higher education, beware the risks. And again, I said this this morning, um, I'm certainly not anti-public university by any means, but you need to know when your sons and daughters go into public university and they're studying anything attached to the humanities, they are going to put through such a squeeze that is absolutely inculcated with woke worldview. You need to be aware of that, and you need to prepare your sons and daughters for that. Well, that was certainly a hard-hitting and clear talk from Dr. Paul Wecky, and I'm grateful that he was so clear about how we need to think as believers. I do suspect that being the president of a post-secondary college means that he is running with some of these ideologies every day, and thoughts have to be wrestled with, and so he has to confront them and find a thoughtful, clear response to them for the sake of his students. Let's go now to a conversation I was able to have with Dr. Pawecki after his talk on the Monday night in July, where we dove a little bit deeper into some of these conversations. Michael, thank you so much uh, for sharing with us tonight. We were just so glad to hear you and your perspective on wokeness. Uh, I really appreciated during the seminar tonight that you talked about how you're learning about this too. Uh, one of the things that struck me as uh, I wrestled through a lot of these issues in preparation was that a lot of it feels very, very new. Uh, and for someone who grew up uh, in a Christian home and Christian environment and also attended a public university, I've been myself surprised by some of what I'm hearing because I just don't feel prepared. And so I guess if I could just ask, you know, how did this happen so quickly? Is this quick? Is it not quick? Or are we just kind of experiencing the fruit of a long, long um experience for people who've been preparing for this moment to bring something to light. Thanks, Luke. It's really good to be with you uh, tonight. And that's a really good question because uh, we do know that the underpinnings of woke worldview thinking uh, goes back 150 years to some philosophical thinking, to certainly Karl Marx, uh, to the Frankfurt School uh, during the days of Nazi Germany, also very Marxist oriented. Uh, but it, it, it's been percolating in academic circles for a number of years. But frankly, even for me, and, and I, I work at a, a Christian college, uh, but even for me, watching what was taking place during Jack, Black Lives Matter, during the, the riots in Seattle and Portland, uh, all the very disturbing things we saw taking place, it was like, where is this coming from and how is this happening? And so while I knew things were brewing, it seemed to come to the forefront, even just the last five, 10 years in many ways. It feels to me, and, and I mean, we're recording this in the summer with the plan to release it in the fall. So who knows what it's going to look like, but it, it feels very much like what's happening in Eastern Europe right now, where it just seems like world events aligned to make something happen with perfect timing, uh, which is terrifying in some senses, because I feel like uh, if I'm not really paying attention, anything is possible at this point. And I know that that's how a lot of Christians feel too, when it comes to talking about these issues of wokeness or um, the way that sociology and, and the world is changing so rapidly. And one of the questions that came to mind as I was listening to you tonight has to do with what I do with someone who claims a Christian faith, but believes the opposite of me, because, you know, I personally hold to a more conservative evangelical view of, of our faith, but I know there are people who don't. And so one of the questions I have is, is what kind of advice you would give if, if I want to talk to someone who claims Christian faith and says, you can be a Christian and believe all of these woke things. Um, and they don't really want to delve because maybe they haven't thought through some of these underpinnings philosophically. How do I reach or talk to that person without sounding like a jerk? Right. I, I think uh, it's not bad to start with our points of common concern or common interest. In fact, one of the things that's so evaporated or so absent uh, in our present context as it relates to conversation is, this, is this, this quality of empathy, where we're really listening to what the other person's saying, listening to what they're thinking and feeling, and identifying with those factors. And so as it relates to woke worldview and, and justice issues and, and issues of racism and discrimination and power, uh, it, it's totally appropriate for, for us to say, no, we identify with those things. We are deeply troubled with the racism that exists in our world. We're deeply against uh, those, uh, those opportunities and, and structural abuses that have taken place. And, and, and we can build on those common grounds. But then to enter into conversation, 
to help uh, the person we're talking with understand what's beneath that. And I think for a lot of people who've embraced some woke values, they don't understand or appreciate the deeper philosophical, ideological underpinnings. But if we can start with the things that were common and we agree upon, I think that's a good place to start. But then we can uh, go deeper if they're responsive to that. You talked tonight about ad hominem attacks, and I appreciated that you went there because I think so many times out of a spirit of generosity, we feel unprepared when we, we try to put forth what we think is a reasonable argument. And it's, I don't mean argument in the angry sense, but just a, a point of discussion or a thought pattern. And, and we're trying to move forward through a series of thoughts. Uh, and then someone comes at, say, me with, uh, you know, ad hominem attacks. Well, it's because you're a Christian, or it's because you're white, or it's because you're cisgendered, all of these different things, you're straight. How would you personally respond to someone? You talked about it tonight, you know, in the, in the broader sense, but I, more specifically, what, what advice or how would you respond to someone who starts going towards an ad hominem attack? Do you have a preferred method of deflection or redirection that you would suggest? Candidly, Luke, I, I don't in terms of a particular skill, but what I would say in demeanor, yes. I think in some ways those, those ad hominem attacks are also a test. Hmm. How are we going to respond? Because I think what's, what's so terribly unfortunate is there, there are a lot of Christians who are providing good arguments, good apologetical defenses for our faith. But if we do it in a caustic, abrasive, harsh manner, we lose ground. We lose credibility. We lose trust. But if we can first and foremost respond with a significant level of grace and patience that already begins to disarm the person we're talking with. So while I don't have a real nifty <laughs> a verbal response. There's no magic trick that you can no, suggest, no, a one-liner no, that no I can rabbit. throw. <laughs> <clears throat> In my hat. <clears throat> but demeanor, I think, is absolutely critical. Now, you could ask, well, what do you mean by that? Go deeper. And that's where it's almost, inter it's almost uh, motivational interviewing, where, where you press them with questions rather than always try to give answers. So I would say the one technique you could ask is, is, is to press them to go deeper with the nature of their question or their concern. Mm. And I, you know, reflecting on that, it makes me think about Jesus and how many times he answers questions with questions. <clears throat> yes. Um, because it's, and it's not a deflection so much as just trying to seek to understand. Um, and I, I do think there's a position of humility that I'm hearing from you, you know, adopting a, a humble position as opposed to an arrogant one is so disarming. Um, I've got an eight-year-old daughter. She's turning nine in the fall. Uh, and she is, she is lovely in terms of her love for Jesus right now. You know, she's got a, a beautiful childlike faith, um, which I hope one day will become, you know, a, a robust adult faith as well. Uh, she has given out three Bibles. She's going into grade oh, four. She's great. already given out three Bibles. That's great. You know, we got in trouble, trouble in air quotes for podcast listeners in kindergarten. Just after Christmas, uh, we got a text message from a mom that said, we're, we're just wondering, you know, what your position is on the Easter bunny, because it seems your daughter has just told everyone the truth about Santa. <laughs> and we we had not made the decision uh, to, or we made the decision rather as a family, just to be honest and say that it's a cherished tradition, but it's not you know, there is no one coming down our chimney tonight. Our daughter was more concerned that someone was invading the house, I think, more than presents. Um, and, and ironically, that family that sent that text, our daughters are now best friends. And so, you know, nothing untowards there. Great. But it's made me very aware that uh, as a parent, and, you know, NBC is all about biblically rooted, resilient families, I do have a responsibility to teach my child well. But the other part that I'm becoming more and more aware of in her reality is that as I equip her with biblical truth, I'm also exposing her to um, the attacks and the mockery of others who share a, an ideological worldview that's different than ours. You know, so I'm proud of her for wanting to give Bibles to her friends. And I'm glad that she sees that as a good thing. I know that it comes from a childlike place. I'm nervous about the day that she comes home in tears because someone mocks her for her faith. I believe it will be a good test of her faith and it will help create something in her that she won't have otherwise. But as a parent, I'm still nervous. Do, do you have any thoughts about how as a parent or for the other parents who are listening, we can sort of rationalize the fact that we have to teach our children truth? Um, you know, I mentioned earlier, but just in case it wasn't on the podcast, you know, my, my daughter attends public school. My wife and I made an intentional choice with that. Um, we are very aware of the things that are going through the public system. We are intentional about the way we teach it. Uh, you know, she's had um, a child in her class with two moms for the last two years. And so it's not something that she's unaware of. But I want her to both be ready and equipped to talk about her faith. 
And as a parent, I'm terrified because I don't want to see my child hurt. Look, that's a penetrating question. And I think you're going to need real wisdom for that. And every parent is going to need tremendous wisdom because, well, as I said uh, uh, in my, my talk, um, I'm certainly not against public schooling education. Uh, I think there's a place for homeschooling. I think there's a place for Christian education. Uh, but certainly um, uh, public education still can have a place. But I think what parents have got to do is, is two things. One is, as you're doing, Luke, is prepare them, ready them for what they might experience in their class context, in their social context, from their teachers, and, and ready them in, in an age-appropriate way but the second thing I'll say is, is there, there may be a threshold. There may be a line in the sand where, you know what, the context has just become too hostile, uh, too, too risky, too damaging, uh, that now uh, we've got to talk about other options. I, I say that carefully. I, I don't say that flippantly. I know there's implications to that. I know there's complexity to that. Uh, homeschooling and private education, both are costly in different kinds of ways. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not suggesting that that's an easy solution. But what I am suggesting is we have one chance at parenting. And depending on the context and the setting and the nature of the school your child is at, there may be a threshold where you say, you know what, it's just gone too far. I'm not going to tell you what that is. And it's different for every child. Exactly. Right? And, it's different for every child, different for every school. Absolutely. I said it earlier, you know, when the, the uh, audience was in here with us that, you know, our school happens to be, we live in Muskoka. It is a more conservative area than other places in the province of Ontario. And so even, even the things that you're talking about tonight, I know that my daughter shield a little bit from it. Um, in one sense, that's a privilege because I know that she's going to be experiencing it at a slower pace than others would say in the downtown core or um, in areas that are maybe Absolutely. more rural, but more quote unquote woke, right? Yeah. And our, our story would be the same in Saskatchewan. The, right. the public elementary school in our area uh, still allows for some teaching of Christian ethics on a periodic basis uh, for those who, who want to attend. Uh, but there is the freedom to attend those. Uh, and yet it's it's a fully public school with with a woke agenda that's woven through uh, much of the curriculum and by many of the teachers. But there is it, there is still a a, 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 a prairie kind of uh, homespun conservatism still at work in some schools. Yeah, absolutely. And I know tonight there was teachers coming up and talking to you and making sure you knew, you know, it's not all teachers, yes. you know, and all of that, because my wife is a supply sure. teacher and she she feels a calling to this family of schools near our house where she she wants to be present and a light, uh, which is so encouraging. And and for teachers to be for Christians to be entering education, uh, and, and and politics and, and, and politics. Yeah. Oh, for sure, because this is where we can be salt and light. And and these are these are very difficult contexts in which to to have our light shine. But we 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 need to be there, and 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 then to be ever so prudent into into knowing when to speak and how to speak because we don't want to. Uh, quickly have ourselves canceled or or silenced uh, or or labeled, uh, but with grace uh, to occasionally speak up and 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 have a voice. Do you think we can turn the tide on this? I know that some people feel like it's not possible anymore. You know, we just need to and and I and I know you're not saying this when you're when you're talking about um, pulling out of public school systems or homeschooling, whatever. But there are some Christians who are feeling increasing like the world is heading in a direction that we cannot go. True. And the response was at one time to try to invest in the world and to show up at PTA meetings and to be coaches on sports teams and all of these things. But perhaps that time is past. Um, I, I love the Lord of the Rings. I think about the elves mm -hmm. and how they start to leave Middle Earth and they get on these ships, um, you know, to leave because they've just said the time of the elves has passed. Yeah. Um, you know, I we're not, you know, Tolkien doesn't have a biblical worldview and all of that. I'm not trying to claim that. Do you think that it's irreparable? Vocable, like it's it's we're going down this road and there's no turning around. What are what should Christians do? That's a very simple question. Yeah. I know, but no, I I think it's a really fair question because I think this is not the first time the Christian Church has been in this kind of a situation. It's it's distinct uh, for us in our recent memories, uh, but the church throughout history has found itself in some very precarious uh, seasons uh, culturally, and we're in just one now. And I think the calling on us to represent the Lord Jesus, to be ambassadors for Christ, to, to make disciples, uh, to be salt and light is, is no less 
uh, no less a, a mandate for us today than it was for the early church or it was for the church mm. uh, during very dark times in history mm. uh, and in very difficult uh, geopolitical uh, t- uh, seasons as well. Um, so I, I don't think it's irreversible. I, I, I think we should pray for revival. Frankly, mm. there, are, there are also examples where, where, where the church has, has sought the Lord and and the the spirit of God is visited, and there's been incredible cultural transformation that's taken place uh, because of the work of God. Um, and yet, we also know historically that whole societies have imploded because of their corruption and because of uh, their their dry rot from within. Um, and so let's let's focus on what God is calling us to do. Uh, what will happen is within the sovereign uh, purposes of God. Amen. But l- let's put our shoulders to the plow. Let's be salt and light. Let's be witnesses. Uh, but I would just say one thing. When it comes to education of our children, um, that's one domain where it's, it's one thing for me to place myself uh, in, a, in a very hot situation. Absolutely. But I, I want to be very careful placing my 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 vulnerable children in settings where they're just not equipped or resourced or mature enough to handle what's yeah, what's being thrown I, at them. I agree a hundred percent. We need to make sure that we make choices. You know, my wife and I are both in ministry in some capacity and we always said, you know, we don't want our kids to be deprived of a typical childhood because sure. they're in ministry. And so we we make hard choices financially or whatever, but we we protect that and we fight for that. And it's the same thing, yeah. you know, with education is that it's one thing for me to make a choice and stand up. It's another thing for my eight-year-old yes, or my five-year-old absolutely. to have to say, oh, well, my father made this sacrifice and now yeah. I'm reaping the benefit yeah. or the consequence, as yeah. it were. Listen, Michael, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it has been such a blessing to hear from you tonight. We're so grateful for you. We're praying for you and for Briarcrest and all that you do. Thanks, And uh, looking forward to having you back, hopefully on some NBC podcast someday Wonderful. in the future. <laughs> great, Luke. Have all a great the best. night. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. A big thank you to Dr. Pawecki for all of his insights and thoughtfulness as well. Next week, we're going to be listening in as Stephen Bray from St. John's, Newfoundland shares about his experiences engaging with the LGBTQ plus community. I promise that it's not just for his accent, but his stories and insights are not ones you'll want to miss. Of all the episodes that we've been asked about, when is it going to be posted? Steve's discussion about loving our LGBTQ plus neighbors is the one that we get asked the most about. So don't miss out. And a quick note for those of you who are waiting for our talk on deconstruction, we're taking a bit more time to edit that podcast episode because of sound quality, so we've bumped that to later in the season. As always, if you've enjoyed listening to today's episode, please share it with a friend, subscribe on your favorite podcast app, or give us a like on social media. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Transforming Culture is a production of Muskoka Bible Center. It's hosted and produced by Luke LaRock editing, sound design, and mixing by Abhishek Varghese. Audio and technical support from Charles West and the summer 2022 AV team. The theme song is Citizens by John Guerra. Graphic design by Christina Tebakel-Hotz. We'll see you next Monday for our next episode of Transforming Culture.